Welcome back, everyone, to the Mac Rumor Show podcast. Today, we have another special guest. We have Ross Young, who is the co-founder and CEO of Display Supply Chain Consultants. Um, and he is also just behind a lot of some prominent leaks as of late. If you are unfamiliar with his work, we got a lot of information back when the iPhone 12 lineup was um about to come to fruition about whether it was going to have promotion technology or when it was going to feature OLED displays. And then with the 13, you got the promotion displays correct and the iPhone SE 3 and all the stuff that could have possibly to do with displays. Ross Young is 100% behind those leaks. And I'm so excited to have him joining us on the show today. Ross, how's it going? It's going well. I hope you, uh, hope you have an easier time than, than I did with COVID. It took me about eight days and uh, had to get the monoclonal antibody infusions on uh, day five, and then that's, I was better shortly after that. That's what it's called. Okay, so wait, you got it on day five? Yeah. Okay. I think I'm on technically day six, um, so I was allowed to come to my office here. No one works here, so if anyone's concerned, there's no one. It's just me, um, but... Yeah, I uh, I guess for those who haven't seen my tweet or anything, I was away on vacation for two days. I took our kids to Disney World, and right before we could even go to the parks, we all got COVID. Um, so we had to get in our rental car and drive. Uh, it's 18 hours. It shouldn't take us this long, but it took us three days because we were all just struggling to drive in the car for more than a few hours at a time. Uh, so we're working on it. I am doing okay, but... If I cough a lot in this podcast, everyone, please, I'll try to mute myself if I can remember, but I apologize. Um, but enough about COVID. It's terrible. You should avoid it at all costs. But what's not terrible is Ross and his work. And we're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about how some of these display rumors fit in, because I'm actually pretty unfamiliar about the specifics. And I think, Hartley, you're kind of in the same boat as me. Like, how does a normal, like, day look for you with leaks and everything? Is this just kind of on the side and like, what is your business and kind of just fill us in on what your like day-to-day -day work is? Sure. So we are, so we sell to all of the companies in the display supply chain, anyone that buys a display or makes a display. So companies like Samsung, Samsung display, Apple, Google, BOE, AUO, uh, companies like that. So well, the kind of information that they want from us is like, how big is the market getting? Uh, what's the volume going to be next quarter? What's the volume going to be in five years? What are the display trends? You know, what's the 120 hertz share? What's the greater than 120 hertz share? You know, what's the OLED share? Uh, what's the mini LED share? Uh, so all of that kind of content. So in order for us to really dig deep into the market, we need to do it on a model by model level. So we create a supply chain for every single model in the market. So iPhone 14 Pro Max, you know, what's the volume this quarter? What's the volume for the next 16 quarter or in the next few quarters? Um, how much is uh, going to come from Samsung display? How much is going to come from LG display? And we have to do that for every product. So we have to know what's coming. And uh, as part of that, you know, we get some insight uh, into you know, features of those products. So that's sometimes they're a big part of our, our business. Sometimes uh, people really don't care that are our customers, but people on Twitter really care. Um, so like I get access to visibility into all the colors of uh, certain brand smartphones well in advance. 
you know, do my customers care about that? Not really. Um, so, but I, I posted on Twitter because I know there are people that care about that. Okay. So that kind of, I had a very invasive question, but you kind of answered that. I was going to be like, how do you make money doing like what, what your job is like, what is a display analyst? But you see, so you have customers that are doing things that are not at all related to this whole world of leaking. This is just something that, well, you're getting this information anyway, so you might as well share it. And that doesn't breach or, you know, come across anything that's you shouldn't be doing or, I mean, Apple hasn't hunted you down yet, but I'm sure they're not particularly happy about it. You know, Apple's been a customer of mine since like 1997 or 1998. Um, so it's a very long-term relationship. You know, I know the, the top display engineering people quite well. Um, and, uh, you know, some of their executives even spoke at our conferences that we used to have for the display industry um, before Apple's policy changed around not speaking at uh, industry events. So Greg Joswiak actually spoke at one of our events. Nice. And he, he introduced me to Steve Jobs in the cafeteria at Apple after one of my visits, which was pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, I have a good relationship with them. I asked them recently, I saw them at our, uh, at one of our conferences and I asked, uh, you know, are they upset by, uh, all these leaks about Apple products? And, you know, obviously you guys are, I mean, a lot of people have been doing it for a long time. And so they said they're used to it. And I asked them what they thought of the roadmap that I published regarding like the whole and under display camera, under display face ID. And they're like, yeah, thanks for that. Now we don't have to do it. You know, you've, you've done it for us. So. <laughs> okay, so they that's interesting that they like remain a customer and they remain cool, even though you've been pretty accurate with some of this information and like, you know, leaking information that they probably don't want, want getting out ahead of time. Um, but they seem to be okay with that with you. That's that's actually really cool. Yeah, I, I tend to correct other people's misinformation sometimes okay. as well. So, um, you know, I think they, maybe they appreciate that. They don't want the, they don't want potential customers knowing the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing is coming. Um, so, you know, when the, uh, MacBook pros with mini LEDs and promotion came out, um, you know, we were the only ones to talk about that, you know, because I wanted people to know that this was coming and they should get excited about it. Um, and, uh, and, the whole, a lot of people in the industry were surprised about it. So promotion doesn't exist on other notebooks. Variable refresh doesn't exist elsewhere besides at Apple. And so the whole, you know, PC industry was caught, caught un, they, they didn't see that coming. And so now they're kind of uh, looking into that more and we'll probably see more competitive products, similar products from others. And I suppose it's kind of a, a two-way street really with a lot of rumors and leaks because like you say, it it sort of generates a bit of enthusiasm. So as much as Apple doesn't like leaks ostensibly, um, they kind of do because it's it's doing their marketing for them. Especially, I suppose, if it sure. sets expectations a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, people are always talking about what's coming, and uh, they're constantly in the tech news. So uh, you know, that's great free press. I'm sure they they appreciate the buzz about their product. Well, I think a lot of people would think that you can't tell that much just from a display um, with regards to what that will really mean for a whole product. But of course, mm -hmm. there's so many elements to a display um, that 
reveal really quite a lot of the functionality of the device. You think of things like ProMotion or the exact display technology. I mean, people are definitely understanding a lot more now about the differences between LED, mini LED, and OLED. Um, and then even functionality like always on. Um, and, and we see how that bleeds through into software, what with um, lock screen widgets now in iOS 16. So the display really kind of is the is the center of the device. And I suppose that's why, even though um, your expertise, Ross, is really the display, it gives us so much insight from a reporting perspective on the wider elements of the device. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I became a display analyst. You know, I could have been a semiconductor analyst um, and, you know, the semiconductor industry is much bigger, um, much more profitable, but it's... Um, it's not as sexy. I mean, you don't see, you don't get excited by seeing, you know, the latest chip. You know, you can't see the benefit of the next shrink in die sizes, right? I mean, that's that's not sexy. You know, seeing an 85-inch 8K display with crystal clear images, you know, that's cool. Um, and just seeing all the advances, you know, that we that we've seen in smartphones and in, in foldables and all these other applications, all these other technologies. I mean, it's much more you know, visible to everybody, it's easier to grasp the improvement. And, uh, you know, you, I still have some old, early generation uh, flat panel TVs and flat panel monitors, and it's amazing to see how much better the performance is. And, and the display industry, you know, has not made a lot of money, yet they've given all of its value to, to consumers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that it's been kind of an unprofitable industry because they, the technology is pretty, pretty cool. So speaking of um, sexy, I think, <laughs> I think a new uh, larger Apple Watch would get people going. And uh, so there's some, there's some buzz going around about that recently. Um, and, you know, obviously in order to make the Apple Watch larger, you're going to have to make the display larger. So I think this is where you perfectly come in here. Um, what are you hearing about the, the latest, I guess it's they're the extreme sports version or I don't know, the name changes. It was like Explorer edition and... I don't know. The name doesn't matter. There could be a larger display version on the way. So if you have any info about that that you'd like to share, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, we've been putting that in our reports for some time now, uh, at least six months. Um, okay. A 1.9 inch display coming from LG Display on an exclusive basis. Um, so we don't get into all of the marketing uh, of the final product. So um, you know, we don't, we tend not to, to have visibility into that. So I have no idea what they're going to call it. Uh, I just know that we're going to start seeing these, uh, displays shipping. Let me, uh, get the latest information real quick. Um, cause so what we do is we survey the panel suppliers and their suppliers about when all new products are shipping. Um, so we get pretty good visibility, uh, into all new display products. So I'm not sure if it's Q3 or Q4. Let me just double check here. Uh, well, it's expected to be this year, right? So we're probably thinking. I would think it's Q3, Q3 but three, I just yeah. want to double check that the uh, what the panel numbers are. I know it's not the highest volume product uh, from <laughs> uh, from a smartwatch perspective, which you know certainly means it's uh, going to be a little more expensive. And we've heard some rumors about pretty high price already. Um, so uh, that could explain that, but let's see. Uh, almost there. Quarterly. Okay. 
I think we heard from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that we're expecting a price tag near to $1,000 at this point, which would make sense yeah, if it's crazy. marketed as more high-end model, something like a, whether it's Apple Watch Pro or... You know, if if it's if it's if it's boasting, maybe if it's basically taking the place of where the Apple Watch Edition used to be, I suppose that would make sense. Well, that was like, how much? What did that start at? Because I think you can max it at seventeen grand. We're not looking at that, right? Well, it, well they, they still sold the edition with the titanium models. Well, I think they still do with the Series Seven, and that's what eight hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars, something like that. They don't call it the edition anymore. They just sell it with the titanium, right? I think it's still edition. Is it? I thought that name went away. I think it is. I'm not sure though. I mean, I, it's it's telling that, that neither of us actually have one. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not spending that much. I like, I have the standard one. Actually, I think stainless steel. I used to go aluminum for the longest time, but you know, the stainless steel does look a bit nicer. So you got, what what, what, what um, quarter did you find there? Yeah, so we have around a million units in Q3 and a little over a million units in Q4, so. It's certainly going to be a lot lower volume than the 1.9 inch. Uh, so it makes sense that that would signal it's going to be a much higher price point. It's going to choke off a lot of the demand. What's the standard watch volume at? Yeah, like around four. Okay. So four times less uh, is what they're expecting. So definitely going to be expensive for all of you listening out there who are interested in getting the pro version of the next watch. You might need to pony up some more money. Um, so that's that's cool. One thing I was interested in asking you, Ross, was mm-hmm. um, a lot of the rumors we've been hearing is that this Apple Watch could have a new design, um, a, a sort of with flat edges and a flat display. Would that be something that you would be aware of? Is actually the shape of a display or um, the extent to which it's it's flexible or how that's implemented? Because that would provide us with a lot of insight about the the actual design. Um, well, we know it is a flexible OLED. All of Apple's uh, smartwatch displays are, but we don't know if it's got flat edges or flat shape, or we don't have visibility into that. We we do see that for like uh, smartphones for the for the phone itself, whether it's got two G or two and a half G or three G cover glass. Um, but in the case of smartwatches, uh, now we don't have visibility into that, unfortunately. That's a bummer because I was hoping that we can actually finally get some closure on whether it's going to be flat or rounded because it's been years of this conversation. I guess we'll have to wait a few more months. I guess so. Speaking of waiting, I, I just love segues like this. Speaking of waiting for so long, uh, what's going on with the 27-inch mini LED display? I'm guessing that would be for um, the next update to the studio display. Yeah, we had heard that they were going to try and get it uh, get it out. Um, I think it was in the middle of the year, Q3. But um, because of the shutdowns in China and in Shanghai, they were moving production either to another Quana line or um, to a different company. And so now we're hearing it's more like early 23. And that's, uh, is that going to include anything like promotion or, um, you know, how, how is this going to fit in the lineup with what we already have from Apple? Yeah, I certainly, uh, you know, if they're going to do mini LEDs, they're going to do promotion. So far, they've gone together um, in every product on the iPads and the MacBook Pros and iPad Pros. So, um, I mean, you could argue 
that with a uh, monitor, you don't need to go below 60 hertz. You're not worried about power consumption. Um, you really only want to toggle between like 60 and 120 hertz. What's the real benefit of going to 24 hertz on the monitor? Right. Um, so you could argue you really don't need ProMotion on the monitor. But on the other hand, you know, you, you do want high refresh rates. So we see companies going to 120 hertz and is, you know, and higher than that as much as 500 hertz. So I think, you know, Apple on their higher end products, they tend to use an Oxide or an IGZO display, which does perform better at high refresh. So they could call it a promotion because you need IGZO for promotion uh, or OLED. Um, so they could do IGZO and offer the, the below 60 hertz, but no one would really use it. But I think certainly they're going to offer a, a very good display there um, that would be able to to get to a higher refresh and still perform very well with with minimal you know issues. And for simplicity, Apple would probably still market it as ProMotion. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, you know, so the benefit of the oxide at higher refresh is it's going to consume less power as well. So, um, then in the more, yeah, I'm sure it's a credential they'd like to show off. Sure. And I suppose the other thing that you then have to think is that if this is sitting above the studio display in the lineup, this is going to be a, a seriously expensive display. It's going to be getting a lot more into the territory of the Pro Display XDR. If indeed it 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 does perhaps replace that device, I don't know whether it would be capable of doing that. Yeah, um, you know, people, there's still some demand for, a, you know, 6K XDR with mini LEDs, but I mean, that will be very, very expensive. Um, I think the market is quite limited, so maybe they, you know, and the 27 inch isn't the biggest monitor in the world, you know, which is what we heard that they were going to use for this mini LED product. Um, you know, there, clearly there's room for a bigger monitor in their product line. I mean, I have a 34 inch monitor in two different homes and uh, just bought my son a 34 inch monitor for his birthday. Um, he turned 17. That's what he wanted. Um, he actually has a 50 inch, uh, an old school 50 inch plasma TV and a 34 inch monitor in his bedroom. So he's definitely the he's son all set. Of display analyst. Yeah. To have 84 inches of display space, on his, in his bedroom, I'm very proud of him. But. You you set him up to never leave his room, is what you did. <laughs> that is an issue. That is an issue. I mean, the plasma TV is old, uh, obviously, but um, it, but um, yeah, there's no reason for him to leave. So moving on to the MacBook Air. The 15.2-inch MacBook or MacBook Air, I think the naming is still a little bit uncertain, is something you've talked quite a bit about, Ross. So what's the, the latest update on that on that larger sort of uh, middle-of-the-road MacBook that's going to sit between the current 13.6-inch uh, MacBook Air and then the 14-inch MacBook Pro? Um, so, yeah, we see a 15.2-inch uh, MacBook Air uh, coming. Um and uh, we talked about that for uh, probably late, probably early next year. Um, and, uh, and, and then we talked about a, a 13.6 inch MacBook Air also, uh, also that would be um, later this year. So we definitely see two new uh, MacBook Air products coming. 
and it will be interesting to see really where that larger MacBook fits into the line, if it is indeed a MacBook Air, because I know a large Air is something that people have wanted for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they seem to really be rounding out their product line now that they're doing their own chipsets. It gives them their own uh, their own processors, so that gives them a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, they're going to refresh products more frequently. They can refresh them on a different cycle than the, you know, the Intel adopters, um, you know, into all the Intel um, new chipsets. They tend to, all the brands tend to release new products at the same time. Uh, so that's very advantageous for Apple. Uh, it gives them a lot more flexibility to have different timing. Um, and, you know, we really see them introducing a lot of introducing and upgrading a lot of products. So, you know, we think they'll definitely take some share um, in in uh, tablets and, and computers as a result. I suppose it's quite easy to see where a 15.2-inch um, MacBook Air fits into the lineup. But the one product that you've talked quite a lot about, um, especially in recent months, that has really got people interested because people just can't work out how it fits into the lineup is this 14-inch iPad. Um, so I was wondering if you could sort of update us on the on the 14-inch iPad, and maybe we can explore a little bit why that is such a such an enigma. Yeah, I agree with that one. Um, you know, we did see some people leaking about it. We tried to follow up, and we did get one company to confirm that they were working on it. Um, but it does seem strange when we heard from that one company that it wasn't going to be mini LED based. So. Why would you do a larger than 12.9 inch, um, 12.9 inch MacBook Pro and migrate to 14 or whatever and not do mini LED? Then you're trying to offer a larger display that's going to probably have a lower price. Um, and it's kind of, that's not really very uh, compatible with Apple's strategy of trying to deliver. Um, you know, always trying to deliver more and more value and better and better performance. Why would they go to a larger size with less performance? Um, so that's a little unclear. Um, and we haven't gotten as much reconfirmations as we'd like. So we did hear it from at least one company, but we'd like to hear about it from more. It's possible that, that there is, uh, that it's possible that that product may not come after all. So we're still trying to track that one, but we did hear that it would not be mini LED. Um, it, to me, you know, Apple needs to have a transition when they move OLEDs to, to, I mean, when they move the iPad Pros to OLED, what do they do with mini LED? Do they drop mm. mini LED completely or do they migrate mini LED to 14 or 15 or 16, you know, offer an even larger iPad, but cheap, cheap but fit it in the high, you know, the larger size, the high, the highest end of the product line. You know, they're the only ones that have really done a mini LED tablet. Um, it's kind of, you know, it, it, they're now it's kind of a hallmark for them. Now, do they just abandon it and do OLEDs like everybody else, uh, or do they continue to keep mini LED in the product line, but go to a larger size where OLEDs today are not as cost competitive? So. It's much more difficult to make a 15-inch OLED than it is an 11-inch OLED. Um, but mini LEDs, it's equally easy to do an 11-inch versus a 15-inch. Um, you have a lot of suppliers. It's not uh, as technically challenging. You don't have issues with 
with yield that you do with OLEDs where you have issues as the panel gets larger, it tends to be harder to achieve high yields. Um, so, you know, I'm not, whole, I'm not giving up that they're going to do a larger mini LED iPad, but um, currently we're not showing it. Well, that actually kind of leads me to something else that we wanted to ask you about, which was the 11-inch iPad Pro. Because with all the rumors we've been hearing, you know, the 12.9-inch the already has mini LED. And in the long term, I think you forecasted that it will be 2024 when both the 12.9-inch and the 11-inch move to OLED. So it kind of leaves the 11-inch iPad Pro in a bit of a, a, bit of a weird place, um, especially considering it's supposed to be a, a Pro device. It's kind of getting a little bit left behind there. So I was interested in if you had any insight into that strategy. Is it, is it going to be the case that the 11-inch will just stick um, with its current display technology until it makes the jump to OLED in uh, 2024? Or will it um, have mini-LED at, at some point sooner than that, maybe next year? Our understanding is that Apple will, the smallest for mini-LED at Apple will be 12.9 inch. Uh, they want to focus mini-LED on larger uh, higher end, higher price point products, and they don't want to push the 11 inch up to a much higher price point. So um, we don't see it changing at the moment, um, and, uh, you know, and there will be no change until 2024 when OLED iPads come in both 11 inch and 20 and 12.9 inch. And the 11 inch volumes will be higher, we think, than the 12.9 inch. Uh, by quite a bit. They, they have pretty aggressive targets already for 2024 OLED volumes. Um, so it looks to us like they're gonna, there's going to be a complete transition at 11 and 12.9 that they're not going to keep the mini LED model around. At, I at see. Those so sizes. it's just kind of an interim with the 12.9 inch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you use any iPads, Russ? <laughs> I do have the 11 inch. I was going to say, which one really do like you, really you really like it? What, what do you use it for? I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. Well, I fly back and forth between San Diego and Austin a lot. So I consume a lot of content, you know, Netflix, Apple, Apple content, um, whatever on, on that device. Um, and uh, yeah, so I really enjoy it for, for watching streaming media. Um, you know, I'll do emails um, with it. Um, I don't really create a lot of content with it. I don't have the, the Apple Pencil or anything, although there's a, it is compatible with the 11-inch. But uh, yeah, it's mo mostly just a content consumption device. You know, an iPhone is too small to be as immersive in the media, as, as immersive in the content as you'd like. I find that the iPad does a better job with that. Sure. Can you do your whole job on an iPad? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. What about a 14 inch? Uh, I type yeah. too slow. You type too slow? Maybe. You know, I type too slow on an iPad for some reason. Well, like uh, if you had the keyboard a, and everything uh, built to it, it should be okay, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, my notebook is 13 inch. So a 14 inch iPad would be, uh, you know, more space. So, yeah, there's no reason with. Now that you know, stage manager gives you multiple windows that you should. I think people will be increasingly comfortable working from you know future iPad devices. Um, just to go back for a second, 
just to be really clear, the 14.1 inch um, iPad, you're not expecting that to have mini LED or ProMotion. It would effectively be, um, say, the same as the uh, the iPad Air. That's what we've heard, yeah. And um, sometimes you've heard information about the bezels of these devices. So I'm thinking about when you uh, reported about the uh, 8.3 inch iPad mini, and you talked a little bit about how that would have uh, no home button and reduced reduced bezels. Um, obviously, the iPad mm -hmm. mini and the iPad Air have the same size bezels, but they're slightly thinner on the iPad Pro. So I wonder if the bezels could give us a bit of insight into whether this is an iPad Pro or whether it's a different sort of iPad on this 14-inch model. I don't know if you've heard anything about the bezels for that just yet. I haven't heard anything just yet. You know, one thing that's interesting is since I've been in the industry way back to 1995, that narrower bezels have been the trend in every single application. So, it you know, TVs, monitors, notebooks, automotive, it's all been about narrow bezel the entire time, you know, almost 20 years. Um, so that's a, it's just a way, another way that the display industry differentiates and tries to capture more value. Um, you know, there was so much bezel on like early TVs and monitors. It's like, you know, crazy looking back at those. I was going to say, in the next 20 years of your career, I don't think we can get much smaller than where we're at now. So you shouldn't have to hear too much about them being reduced. <laughs> yeah, there's a big effort now to, to reduce the bezels on all four sides. So, I mean, we've seen it on the, on the edges. We've seen it on the top. Uh, you know, a lot of products still have a bigger chin uh, on the bottom. Um, but uh, Samsung is embarking on a very aggressive plan to, to go to like zero bezel on, on all four sides um, for in, in smartphones and probably in other applications as well. And I'm sure the rest of the industry will try and emulate that. I suppose tablets are the only place where that really is a little bit of a concern, or at least where there may not be such a push, because you still want somewhere that you can, you know, you can grip the, the tablet from. Sure, that is true. Although... I think for a lot of these larger ones, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of people out there that are holding their 12.9 inch That's true. or 14 inch, you know, like if you were to tell me that anything above 11 inch got, had no bezels and you, you really couldn't hold it in your hands, I'd be like, that's fine. I don't, I don't want to hold it in my hands. I want it docked on something. Um, or, you know, a lot of the times if I'm, if I am holding it in my hands, I have it like, like kind of underneath oh, I have to position this correctly with the with the frame here like kind of cut like underneath it like you're cusping it um you can't really hold it like this anymore so I'm okay with them removing bezels on an iPad for larger ones at least well I suppose everything becomes a bit different when you're talking about iPads of that size I mean uh at the moment even on the 12.9 inch iPad it is a little bit ridiculous that the Apple logo is that way around that the true depth camera array is on that way around considering that 99 percent of people are using it with the Magic Keyboard docked uh, in landscape. And a 14-inch iPad's going to be used in that kind of workflow even more. So I wonder if when we start seeing the next kind of generation of, of iPad designs, particularly for those larger sizes, maybe it will be kickstarted by this 14-inch iPad, um, whether we'll see the iPad moving to that kind of landscape design. I think that would make sense. So wait, are these four, is the camera still going to be not in landscape for the next generation? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But it's on the display. You should it you should have that info, right? It's there. Um, I mean, the display manufacturers haven't told us that uh, information. Certainly, if we saw one, we'd be able to, to tell you that. But 
Yeah, I mean, in my with my iPad, you know, I hold it by the case. You know, I, I don't really hold it by the display itself. So, you know, I think people increasingly use cases and external keyboards, and like you said, and you know, I don't I don't see that. I I, I think the the trend will continue with narrow bezels. All right, I'm still holding out hope then that they will put it in landscape and just because you don't know the information. Because if you did, you would tell us and that would pretty much squash it. So there's still hope sure. that we don't have to keep doing this weird thing with the bigger iPads and or like move my head. That's what I usually have to do. Move my head for it to see my face and read it. It doesn't make any sense, but all right. So I, I feel a little better about yeah. that then. I'll say one other thing about that and that's that we expect to see under panel cameras, you know, in iPads. So that will also allow you to reduce the bezel because you don't lose that space that you have for the camera. Um, so that will really drop. Um, so, you know, now we've, we've seen tablets with notches, right? And so sure. now the notch will disappear when they go to under panel cameras and under panel face ID, which you'll start to see in like 2024 in iPhones. And okay. it, it's a lot easier to do with tablets and notebooks because the uh, dot pitch, the aperture is so much bigger. The resolution is so much lower. You know, you're like 500 PPI on a smartphone, you're at 200 PPI or whatever on a tablet or notebook. And so it's a lot easier to, to squeeze that camera in there um, or sensors. And uh, so if they can do it with phones, they can easily do it with tablets and notebooks. And that'll allow for an even you know tighter uh, device with smaller bezels. Is there any time frame on that at the moment? I know you've spoken a little bit about that for the iPhone and kind of how we're going to see uh, the notch kind of being reduced to a hole punch and then going totally under display um, and then trickling down from the pro to the standard models over kind of the next five to seven years. I can't remember the exact the exact time frames that you laid yeah. out, but would that happen in tandem with the iPhone, do you think, or is that something for uh, maybe a later date? I mean, since it's the volumes are so much lower, it's it, it's uh, and the uh, technical requirements are so much easier. I do think we could even see it next year. I mean, it, it's kind of an issue about the cooperation between the display teams and the sensor teams. So just because you can make the display transparent enough to to um, achieve a decent performance for the camera and good enough performance on the sensors you still have to deliver a, a really good image. And that's where you have to get the sensor teams involved. And then there may need to be compensation, particularly around video. Um, and uh, so you may need faster processors. You may need you know, some specialized software. Um, with, with notebooks and tablets, it's also easier because the display is rigid. While in the iPhone, the display is flexible and has a yellow, plastic substrate. So when you shine the camera, the first thing it hits is this yellow substrate. So you have to get the yellow out of the picture. But with smart, but with phones, I mean, with notebooks and tablets, you don't have that problem. So there's less compensation necessary in notebooks and tablets or a rigid OLED smartphone like you've seen from uh, a few brands in China. Interesting. So I suppose that um, you won't actually be able to tell that from looking at pictures of the panel um, if it if it's under display. Would that be right? At least what you would um, see at your end from the. Or would it be chain. more like would it be more like Samsung's uh, foldable, where you could kind of see it depending on how you were looking at it? 
Um, and you can see like the pixels over the camera, but you know, for the most part, it was kind of hard to tell. Yeah, I think it'll be much better in the future. I think Samsung's was not a great engineering solution. Um, and the Chinese actually had a, had better solutions than what Samsung had from my perspective. Um, cause yeah, you could see a lot of the, the pixels. Um, and you know, four, who wants a four megapixel camera, right? Um, you know, that, that was pretty poor. Um, so I think they'll do it better with the fold four. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think we'll only get better solutions from next year. I think, you know, the panel suppliers already qualified for the under panel face ID. Um, and, uh, but it's going to take Apple that long to get it into a final product because of the integration issues, the sensor collaborations with the display teams and any software necessary, et cetera. So I, but on a, you know, we, we, they might be able to do it faster on a lower volume product like an iPad or a MacBook. And to kind of um, go back a second, we were talking about landscape iPads. You were the first one to give us a sort of concrete confirmation that the iPhone 14 Pro would have this pill and hole punch design. There were already some images circulating on Twitter, but you really, uh, you gave us that that sort of reliable confirmation that that was happening. So I suppose, um, well, I suppose I'm asking, how did you come to, come, come to know that? Um, and would that same kind of information in the future be applicable to understanding if those cutouts were moving on the iPad? Uh, yes. So we got the information by asking Apple's panel suppliers. You confirmed it. Um, those same panel suppliers will be making the iPad, the OLED iPads and the OLED MacBooks. So they are our customers. Um, and uh, we would continue to deliver that kind of information. Okay. Um, we've also spoken quite a bit about uh, quite a bit about notebooks and talking just just the word notebook it reminds me of uh, uh, a rumor that you you came out with um, not that long ago that was really interesting which was the apple foldable notebook i'm using the word notebook selectively because this is kind of where i'm going with the question which is i wonder if it's actually an mm -hmm. ipad pro rather than um, a macbook necessarily so um do you want to kind of update us on uh what you what you think Apple is working on? I think you said for sort of 2026, 2027, if it even if it even uh, is released. Yeah. So um, um, Apple it, uh, would address this product with an existing fab, so Gen six. So it could ha potentially happen sooner than that. Um, so it could be even 2025. Uh, Twenty inch. Panelization, which is like a term to express um, the efficiency of how many cuts you get uh, and how much area is wasted, is actually a good size for uh, a Gen 6 fab. It's not too bad. So it, it's something that Apple could do um, you know, sooner than later. Um, they don't need to wait till 2026 or 2027. You know, the expectation is a new class of fabs called Gen 8.5 uh, is where Apple is going to buy its future OLED uh, MacBook Pro panels from. And so that yeah. fab would start from Samsung in uh, like tw end of 2024, but it wouldn't have a tandem stack. So it may actually take until uh, Samsung's second line at Gen 8.5 
before Apple starts uh, using uh, buying panels from that fab. Because Apple really wants the tandem stack, which gives you twice the efficiency and like 30% lower power and much greater lifetimes. Um, so that Gen 8.5 fab will actually not be foldable. You won't be able to make foldable panels from that fab. It'll be more cost right. effective because it'll be a lower cost rigid substrate, but it'll still be thin because it'll be rigid plus TFE. Uh, so rather than a second piece of glass over it to encapsulate it, they will put down a, a layer of silicon nitride, which will encapsulate it. So it'll be thin, it'll be less lower cost. The larger substrate will bring down the cost as well as a lower cost backplane. So the way you talk about backplane CapEx is how many mass. Like in semiconductors, we have tens and tens of mass. In displays, you could get away with as few as four. For OLEDs, you're like between 10 and 20. Um, LTPO is more like between 15 and 20, but an IGZO could be like seven or eight, you know, an oxide or an IGZO backplane. So that's kind of where the industry is moving to bring OLED costs down in future notebooks and make them uh, much less costly than uh, mini LEDs and more competitive with like existing uh, oxide LCDs. So you'll still, you'd still get promotion in a similar range, maybe better, um, but it'll be OLED and it'll be much lower cost. But you may see like a 14 inch or 16 inch OLED notebook after a foldable which is interesting. So they could do 20 inch foldable before a 14 inch or 16 inch. We are hearing that they'll do a 13.3 inch from Samsung display in 2024. That would be a notebook. Um, that would be, yeah, it would be a MacBook uh, device, either Air or Pro. But, you know, the, the, the names Air and Pro and maybe something called Studio, you know, which we've seen on the desktop, you know, maybe you know, those, those names keep blending. It's, it's, it, you know, we see the display, you know, we heard the 20 inch would be a notebook, you know, maybe that was the obvious uh, expectation from the display suppliers, but you know, you could be right. Maybe it is some sort of uh, iPad or hybrid device, or, um, you know, maybe it's a future iMac because, you know, it basically is an all-in-one, right? So who knows? Hmm. I suppose that's one of the most interesting rumors going forwards, just because it's it's kind of unclear what form that will take, and there's there's a lot of yeah. new technologies to be to be showcased there. Yeah, and if Apple was to do a foldable iPhone, the uh, volume on the cover window would be the real limitation. Like, is there enough volume of capacity for cover windows to support Apple? And the answer today is no. And so in order for Apple to do a foldable phone, we have to see a big increase in cover window capacity. But for a 20-inch foldable notebook or iPad or all-in-one or whatever you want to call it, it's not going to do, obviously, iPhone-like volumes. Uh, it's going to be priced very high. Volumes will be low. And it's something more digestible from a supply chain perspective to build cover window capacity. Uh, so that could be, you know, uh, that could be Apple's first foray into foldables and maybe give them confidence to to build out more, help build out more capacity on the cover window side. 
So do you think that's one of the main reasons then why we haven't seen a, a foldable iPhone yet, especially considering uh, how many iterations we've seen now of foldable uh, smartphones from Samsung? Is this one of those limiting factors that really does explain why Apple hasn't got there yet? Because Apple's definitely come under fire for you know being being too slow or for not keeping up with the competition. Yeah, I, I think um, that is certainly one of the reasons. Another reason is you know they would be um, paying Samsung uh, a higher share of the total bomb of the phone because Samsung would provide the display, would be the majority supplier of the display, and the display is a higher percentage of the cost in the foldable. And you could say the same thing with the cover window. The cover window is a higher percentage of the, of the cost in a foldable versus a regular uh, iPhone. And so why, why would they want to just make Samsung rich, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, they would be giving more margin to Samsung and they would have less margin. Their margins would be down unless they really raise the price a lot. Um, but if Samsung's move towards introducing a Galaxy A type foldable price point in 2024 is true, where you have like the Z Flip at $799 and the Fold 4 or um, the Fold at like $1199, now you're getting to where you can buy, uh, you know, these high-end foldables for less than an iPhone with all this additional functionality, kind of backing Apple into a corner. And sure, there's people that love iOS and hate Android and would never switch, but it would be uh, for people that are, you know, more neutral on that, it would be more compelling, I think, to move to a foldable if you're talking about those types of price points. Absolutely. It would be interesting to kind of prove that use case with a larger foldable first, especially if they can mm -hmm. if they can get the volume with the the cover windows, because we often see that Apple sort of um, they set out these technologies on higher end devices. I mean, take uh, something like lidar. It came first to uh, the iPad Pro, if I remember rightly, before coming to the iPhone 12. Something like ProMotion also started on the iPad. Um, even in the long term, I suppose, we're going to end up saying USB-C was first on the, the iPad before trickling down to the iPhone. So I guess in the long term, mm -hmm. if we're going to see how uh, Apple's OSs play with a foldable display, um, it would kind of make sense for that to take place on a, on a kind of tablet or notebook style uh, implementation first before we, we see it on a smaller, cheaper device. See, but that's, what's, that's what scares me about that is that like... Apple's going to do that. They're going to pick a device that maybe not a lot of people, it's just not a maybe, it's true. Not as many people are using a MacBook or an iPad as they are an iPhone. Um, there's just more volume there. That's part of the reason why they can't do these things because they just, like you said, they can't supply the, 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 the they can't supply them. So, I mean, I'm scared that they're going to do something like that in a device that isn't going to sell well. And then they're just going to be like, ah, oh, no, the demand's not there. When in reality, I think the huge, there would be huge demand for a foldable iPhone over something like a folder foldable iPad or MacBook. Am I wrong? Oh, I think there would be a lot of demand for a foldable iPhone. I, I bought uh, the Z flip and uh, I really liked it, but I didn't like the, the Android experience. It's just, yeah. you just, I'm just used to iOS. I'm old, and that's what I'm used to. And and uh, uh, but you know I'm a cyclist, and so the the clamshell phone is really good for cycling because it doesn't get sweaty, doesn't get wet. Um, it because the phone is folded, it doesn't like turn my phone on or I mean uh, make phone you know butt dials. My camera isn't on. 
Um, it's just much more robust and, you know, it takes up less space and I really like it for uh, cycling. Um, and, you know, so there are some use cases for those types of phones and it's fun to whip it out and flip it around. Um, you know, sure. I, but I do think that there is an opportunity for a foldable tablet. And, you know, I think that the volumes that we see on a tablet are small enough that Apple could do it um, because, you know, the tablets are getting bigger and bigger. Right. You know, 14 and a half inches now from Samsung and uh, and they're harder to carry. If you fold them once, you know, you could potentially fit it in your pocket. If you fold it twice, it's it's basically the size of a phone um, and it could be with some advances the size of an existing like fold four. Um, so I think that could kind of breathe new life into the, the tablet category, which is kind of, been, you know, a, a traditionally a slower growing category over the past few years compared to notebooks. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that maybe even, um, you know, in 2024 from Samsung, like having a, a multi-folding uh, tablet uh, for people that don't want to have to carry a, a big display and have it fit in your pocket and get that convergence functionality um, and get you that big screen that you want. And I think rollable is the same kind of thing. I really like right. rollable for, for phones because um, you're not going to have that seam down the middle. You know, you're going to have potentially a seam at the edges. And when it's rolled up, you'll never even notice the seam. It's only when it's rolled out that you could notice the seam. And, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of progress with hinges, um, you know, that's reducing the seam anyways. But, you know, I do think, you know, if they can, get over the mechanical issues with rollable, it would also help level the playing field away from Samsung because the rollable display challenges don't seem as great as foldable. And so you could have the Chinese delivering rollable at, uh, at high volumes and aggressive price points and making rollable happen um, more aggressively. So do you think that Apple would go then um, the flip route or the fold route? Because I was always envisioning the fold, but now that you said, mentioned the flip again, that that would be kind of intriguing too. I, I think they're looking at it as the convergence device, so kind of the fold route. Um, you know, maybe it's a complement to the iPad Mini. It could be the same size as the iPad Mini when uh, unfolded, um, and get allow them to hit a higher price point. But you know, I, the, on the other hand, the benefit of the Mini is it goes after a lower price point. So would they really do that? Um, but on the other hand, why not just introduce a, uh, uh, a flip type product and see how it does, especially if Samsung's going to be at 799 and it's already proven to be the winner from a volume perspective in foldables. Like we know the flip four is going to sell really well. You know, actually I'm seeing production in August at 2 million units, which is fantastic. Um, and, but we don't know about the fold device because it's thick. Um, it's a higher price point, you know, it hasn't sold as well in the past, um, you know, less than half of what the flip volumes have been each year. And it tends to have a short run. Maybe it sells for three months and then it kind of really trails off quick while the flip continues to sell well for like 12 months. So if Apple's looking at it from a volume perspective, they would say, oh, they should do the flip. But if they're looking at it from maximizing the price point and, having a convergence product that maybe they could outperform relative to Samsung. And that high 
price point that Samsung offers gives a lot of room for differentiation. You could go larger than 7.6 or smaller than 7.6. Um, you know, we've seen lower prices, we've seen higher prices. So I don't think we have the winning formula yet for a fold type device, but we clearly have it with the flip type device. So talking to these suppliers and uh, trying to trying to gather information to kind of draw these conclusions, I'm curious if Apple's suppliers and the supply chains for Apple's devices stand out in any way compared to other companies. Is it is it the case that they are that their suppliers are more secretive with those contracts, or are they basically all the same behind the scenes? Uh, <laughs> um, so I would say that uh, you know, Apple suppliers are more secretive, but um, there's a way to get the, the, the same level of detail, if not even more, um, based on your supply chain relationships. I see. I'm not suggesting anything illegal. I'm just saying that, you know, um, we're able to get the information in, in the same way. It's just like if you talk to someone in marketing at a display supplier, they wouldn't know anything or they wouldn't tell you anything. But if you talk to, you know, someone else or if you talk to, to their suppliers, um, it might be they it might be easier to get the information. You know, everybody needs the, everybody needs Apple's forecasts in the supply chain so they know what to build to. So the data exists. It's just a matter of finding the people that have the data and that are willing to discuss it with you. And how closely are you following uh, many of the other the other names that we follow uh, in our line of work, at least. So I'm thinking of people like um, Ming-Chi Kuo or Mark Gurman, people that uh, have insights into different ends of uh, Apple's operations and and supply chain. Uh, I'm wondering if you if you use those to assemble your own insights, or whether you use them kind of uh, as a little bit of a way in to know where to start with something, or whether it's just a curiosity, or maybe you don't follow them at all. Um, you know, we hadn't really followed them that often until this year. You know, now that uh, Ming Chi Kuo is on Twitter, and and uh, uh, Mark Gurman seems to be posting more on Twitter. Um, when they publish these rumors, we'll try and verify them. Um, so, and uh, if we can't verify them, we may say, you know, we don't think that's the case. Like the uh, 12-inch MacBook, you know, we have not been able to verify that that product. Um, but the iMac was another one, know, wasn't it? I, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate them uh, posting this information because it gives us something to try and confirm or or deny. Um, Keeps us in contact with our with our customers and our with our with our uh, with people in the supply chain. So, you know, it accelerates the interaction. I would say. And beyond those uh, particular names, do you find that there's just more information coming through Twitter, coming from sort of uh, maybe Weibo places that uh, this information was not coming from ten years ago? For sure, yeah, definitely. So it, it takes a lot of time to keep track of all this. You know, it's not something we had to do in the past. We would just put together our forecast, interview the supply chain, and then uh, publish our information. Now there's just a lot more noise. Um, but I, I appreciate it. Um, like I said, you know, it accelerates the interaction. Um, it makes sure we're not missing it. 
be seeing most of the time um, those third party sources are wrong. You know, not not saying Mark and Ming Chi, but the other ones. You know, the, the people that are just out there. You don't know who they are. They don't work for right. a company. They're just out there tweeting stuff. You know, a lot of times they're off. You know, they're way off. Um, you know, maybe they talk to somebody who talked to somebody and they think they have all the information. It really helps to verify the information with multiple sources, you know, in the supply chain um, to really know what's happening. I think the last thing that we have for you, it's a pretty, pretty easy question, I think. Uh, what Apple devices do you currently use? So I have a 12 Pro Max, a MacBook Pro. I have... Uh, I used to have an Apple monitor, a uh, cinema display that I stopped using. Uh, I, do have, I do have an Apple Watch, uh, but I actually use my Garmin for swimming. Um, okay. It just uploads easier to, to Garmin and Strava. Uh, I have to figure out how to do that on the Apple Watch. Maybe somebody, maybe one of your listeners can send me a shortcut. Uh, oh, I'm um, sure they will. That's really about it. Uh, yeah, and the 11-inch uh, iPad Pro I have. So wait, did you purposefully not upgrade to the 13 because you knew that the 14 was going to have uh, a different display and going to be a little bit better and, and more of an upgrade than the 13? Or did you just not someone who upgrades every year anyways? There's nothing wrong with my 12 Pro Max. I mean, <laughs> I wish it had LTPO. It would be cool to have 120 hertz, but it's a perfectly good smartphone. It has served me well. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think the... The uh, one hertz capability and the always-on display will be nice on the 14, but you know I I, I might wait for USB-C on the 15. So you know I haven't decided yet. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. I really so, appreciate I it. I don't feel yeah. Sure. No, go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I'm not the kind of person that needs to upgrade every year. But I mean I think when I used to hand them down to my kids. You know, uh, I w we would do that. But uh, at the moment, um, I haven't made a decision to upgrade yet. All right. Yeah, they're old enough to get their own stuff now anyways, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although the camera, you know, the 48 megapixel camera will be nice. So I'll have to hear more about the benefits of it. So we'll see what happens at launch. You're going to be tempted. Ross, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, please feel free to take this time to, uh, you know, shout out your Twitter and any place that you guys uh, you know, want him people to follow you. Um, now's the time. Yeah, at DFCC Ross, please uh, check me out. Do you do the super follows? Yes, I have uh, super followers as well. Nice. Go super follow him, everyone. And again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks.